The biggest sports news in DFW in recent weeks hasn't involved the Mavericks, Stars, Rangers, Cowboys, or FC Dallas. No, when Dale Hansen announced last week that he'd be hanging them up after nearly 40 years on the air in the market, it sent shockwaves through the industry. The man himself, Dale Hansen, joins us to talk about his one-of-one career, why he's decided to sign off, and what fueled his passion for both his work at Channel 8 and the social commentaries that made him a national star. But first, one of the nation's most respected media critics, Brian Curtis of The Ringer, joins us to talk about how Dale's larger-than-life persona affected him growing up in Fort Worth and how this is the best time ever to be a sports watcher and listener. And finally, we're joined by Emily Jones, the beloved member of the Rangers broadcast team and co-host with Julie Dobbs of the Mom Game podcast. Emily will tell us how Sharon Stone once got her in big trouble. She also makes a really good reality show recommendation for us. So let's drop the needle and let's go. Welcome to the Mic Drop Podcast. Kevin Sullivan here, joined by my co-host, Monica Paul, the Executive Director of the Dallas Sports Commission, along with our next-level intern and very nervous Dallas Mavericks fan, Marcus Carr. Monica and Marcus, this is episode 16, where we remain in shock that we haven't been kicked off the internet yet. Of course, the number 16 reminds me of Rangers third baseman Dean Palmer, and who could forget the great Peja Stojakovic had a great, uh, very productive career as a shooter and scorer in the NBA. His only season with the Mavericks, of course, was that magical championship season of 2010-11. So we're thinking about Dean Palmer and Peja Stojakovic today as we, uh, as we get rolling. Before, you know, we have Brian Curtis coming on in a minute. He's like you, Monica. He's a UT guy. We've got to pause and inhale the, uh, the Longhorns women's rowing team for an unexpected uh, NCAA championship, nosing out Stanford and Washington. Guess what? They have water around those campuses. Uh, UT has won 58 national championships, including men's swimming and diving this year and women's tennis. So a national championship in Austin is a fairly regular occurrence, but women's rowing is pretty cool. They won in Sarasota. So Monica, way to go, Longhorns. Oh, yeah. Hook them horns. Uh, you know, we've got to celebrate all sports there. So it's exciting for the rowing team. I actually uh, watched a little uh, UT women's softball this uh, past weekend against Oklahoma State. We didn't fare quite as well uh, to go on to Oklahoma City, but uh, still a, a pretty good showing for, for those horns. Um, Sully, I've got some other big news, I think, that's happened in the sports world. Um, Naomi Osaka withdrawing from the French Open, uh, really expressed concerns over talking to the press uh, and press conferences due to mental health. Obviously, we know mental health is, issues have always been around, but uh, as it pertains to professional athletes, um, I think, you know, in your day job, you uh, work with a lot of professional athletes, professional teams in terms of media training, one of the top uh, media training gurus here in the country. Um, how important is it for, you know, athletes to continue to talk to the to the media um, from your perspective? And how do you train uh, somebody through that? Yeah, we're, we're going to get into this with Brian Curtis. And he, he's got a great piece up on the ringer where you know he makes the point that, you know, George Clooney doesn't have to talk to the media after a, after a movie comes out necessarily to get a reaction. But I, I do think it's important that athletes are accessible. This is different than the movies. Uh, you know, the, when I first heard about this, I thought I could have helped her. Uh, you know, I, I, you know, it's about prep. It's about thinking how you're going to handle things. There's some things you can do to get comfortable. But then as, as the, as the story evolved, we saw that it was a serious mental health issue at play here. I think the French open could have handled it much better uh, you know, the notion that because someone wouldn't deal with the media that you're not going to let them play is sort of far-fetched, I think. But, you know, th there are tickets to sell. This is where all this started. It's why the players are available. We, we, we feel a connection to our teams. Uh, we want to relate to our athletes. And they deliver insights after a, after a game or leading into a game that help us understand them better, get to know them better. She has such an incredible 
personal story. Wonderful champion athlete, uh, you know, great personal backstory, so likable. Uh, and and at, at 23, has always seemed mature beyond her years. So we're all pulling forward to figure out the mental health component of this. It's a good thing that athletes are empowered and can comfortably speak about this, something we talked about with Charles Haley a few weeks ago here on, on the mic drop. But but my, my question that, I, that I'm going to, we can ask uh, Brian in a minute here is, will this start a trend? Now that she has kind of said, I don't feel like doing it because it makes me uncomfortable, will other athletes follow suit and what will leagues uh, do about it? So we'll get to more of that in a minute. Monica, what's happening at the uh, Dallas Sports Commission? Yeah, so this past weekend, uh, we had Mexican uh, national team playing Iceland, uh, supposedly the largest uh, crowd uh, post-pandemic for international soccer. Uh, the rain gave us some challenges. Uh, and you think, why, why rain? Uh, because it was an AT&T stadium and we have a roof. But uh, we do have to harvest grass. So uh, we had a little challenge there, but uh, got the field in. It was great, uh, great atmosphere. Really great to have uh, international soccer back, especially going into what we have coming up in July uh, with the CONCACAF uh, Gold Cup uh, Group Stage A and Mexico basically uh, uh, staying here and living here in Dallas uh, for, for that entire month. Um, not, not necessarily happened in, in Dallas over the weekend. Uh, the Big 12 Baseball Championships wrapped up in Oklahoma City, uh, and that'll be coming back to uh, the Dallas DFW Arlington uh, area at Globe Life Field for the next uh, three years. So excited to have that on our resume and on our calendar for future years. Um, working on some other great uh, opportunities uh, to bring events in more non-traditional sports. So think uh, esports and and rodeos in in the future. So hopefully we'll have some uh, upcoming announcements uh, to be able to share with our our listeners. And um, waiting on uh, athletes unlimited. You know we we hosted that uh, women's uh, volleyball league in February March, their inaugural season. And hopefully within the next few weeks we'll see if we can secure that back for the. 2022 season and maybe have the opportunity to grow and grow sports so uh but Sully I do have to say that I have a surprise for you and I'm not going to tell you what it is necessarily today uh I think you know maybe the only way you're going to get this surprise is if uh, you actually come here in in studio I promise you it's something that you're going to like uh so uh, I'm going to keep dangling that and teasing you a little bit uh, until you make it over here in studio. But uh, working on a lot of great things at the Sports Commission. Well, thanks. And I, and I will get into uh, vocal studios uh, here maybe sooner than, than later. So, so we'll stay tuned for those upcoming announcements. And in the meantime, let's go over to Rachel with a word from one of our sponsors. PowerHands is a global athletic training and rehabilitation product tech company that enhances human performance through designs, innovative technology. If you are a coach, athlete, fitness enthusiast, PowerHands is for you. Who doesn't want to improve their overall performance and recovery? Even better, PowerHands is Dallas-based and a portion of every product purchased. Helps provide athletic and academic programs to youth in underserved communities. Go to PowerHands.com and improve your athletic performance today. Thanks, Rachel. And now it's our pleasure to welcome to the mic drop Brian Curtis, editor at large of The Ringer, co-host of the Press Box podcast. I'm a fan of both, as is our showrunner, Tony Fay. Uh, Brian's a native of Fort Worth, a product of storied Pascal High School, Go Panthers. I say storied because of the uh, legacy there with uh, Dan Jenkins and Bud Shrake. But Brian, let's not forget Liz Smith also went to uh, Pascal, the noted famed uh, late gossip columnist and of course alan bean the fourth man to walk on the moon so so way to represent uh uh thanks for being here you once dreamed of playing for the rangers but now you have this really cool job commenting on the media one of the top national commenters on the media scene and i highly recommend the press box pod uh to, to our listeners so thanks for joining us brian early in the morning on the west coast as we're recording this what is your take on the Naomi Osaka situation that we referenced in our open? Well, you, you made some really good points about this. And as you know, Kevin, probably better than anybody, media access, even when you stipulate it down to the minute as some a place like the French Open does, is never going to go perfectly, even in the best case scenario, even when the athlete wants to do it, when the media is there and ready and asking good questions, it's just never going to go off seamlessly. 
I thought this was so interesting because first of all, she, two things, she mentioned mental health. And I think when an athlete, especially at the French Open mentioned something like that, the first thing everybody should do is just give her a lot of space and say, what can we do to accommodate you? What can we, you know, whatever concerns we have about media, those can wait until after. The second thing was the other thing you mentioned in the Open. The French Open actually released a statement threatening to kick her out of the tournament if she didn't do her press conferences. I've just never heard that before in all my years of writing about sports. You know, Marshawn Lynch was having a really good time with reporters at the Super Bowl six years ago. I was there. Nobody said he couldn't play in the Super Bowl if he didn't talk to the media. So I just don't, I don't understand that standard. I've never heard it. I've never heard a reporter say, hey, if you don't talk to us, you don't get to play. We all want athletes to talk to us, but I don't think any of us would go that far. You think other athletes will try to follow suit? Could this be an emerging trend? It's interesting because it's interesting to me that it hasn't become an emerging trend. Kyrie Irving, who plays for the Brooklyn Nets is here. He blew off his media obligations a couple of times this season. He's back talking to reporters now in the playoffs. All these athletes uh, from the tennis players, to the NBA players, they could afford these fines, which are like $30,000, $15,000. That money doesn't matter. Yet they all still come. And if you noticed, they went and asked all the other tennis players at the French Open, hey, what do you think about this? They all had incredible empathy for Naomi Osaka and her situation. But they all said, personally, I'm still going to answer questions. I'm still going to come. Serena Williams doesn't doesn't need to answer questions to any of us at this point in her career. She she did, she can afford $15,000 fines. If she didn't show up, I kind of think the tournament would still go on, but she she's going to do it. And I think in a way it's almost become more of a norm than it is a rule. Kind of like, you know, we see sometimes in politics at certain times you need to talk to the press and athletes just kind of do it I think now as as a reflex. You know, some of the media commentary around this was that she doesn't need the media and these press conferences to get her, to get her story out. She can do that through her own channels. And I would disagree. Obviously you can do a lot with social media, but you don't get the insights into what happened. Why did you win? The why and the how is just not there in an Instagram post or a, or a tweet or a TikTok, you know, video. And I think ultimately the fans are the losers in this. And obviously in, in Naomi's problem situation, her, um, you know, mental health is a serious issue, you know, that needs to be addressed. And she should have been given a pass on, on, on that basis. Uh, but the fans are the ones who miss out here. Don't you think when the, when the athletes don't open up after, after games? I completely agree. And I often think athletes don't quite realize how much because their biggest thing is saying, I want to control the message. I want to say exactly what I want to say. And to them, you answer, look, if you, relinquish a little bit of control if you give that press conference you might not like everything that's written or said about you but there's just going to be a much fuller richer picture for people to read about and people will still read your instagram and still look at twitter and what you put on there but they'll also read other things and i think they'll just have a bigger and you know i don't know richer idea about you coming up next on the mic drop we have dale hansen following you today what were your you know, obviously as you know he's announced his retirement in september uh, what do you what, what growing up in Fort Worth? I'm sure you watched Dale. What, how do you think about his career uh, and the uniqueness of it as you as you look back? I feel so lucky to have grown up in the Anchorman era of local news, and have grown up in the Anchorman era of local news in DFW, because everybody just seems so bigger than life. <laughs> I mean, it just it was it was just like those those people, and we could name them on Channel Eight, Channel Five, everything. They just seemed so big and Dale in particular seemed bigger than anybody because he was there so long that he sort of took the baton from Vern Lundquist to WFAA, which is still amazing to me that we went from one, you know, huge national star announcer to another. And that Dale was just so not only talented, but happy to mix it up with Jerry Jones when he was calling the games with Barry Switzer when he was coaching the Cowboys. I mean, that doesn't happen a lot on local news, right? You know, a lot of local news readers are very good and very polished, but I don't know if I would describe them as feisty. You know, I don't know if David Finflock right. was ever mixing it up with the National Weather Service when he was done. <laughs> so I think Dale was just completely unique. And like I said, just absolutely the most watchable human being I have ever seen on, on, uh, on television, I think. So, Brian, what type of uh, influence did Dale have on you or that you've taken uh, to use in your, within your career? 
a, a bad influence whenever <laughs> I hung around with him. I'll say that, you know, because I'd have to, you know, sleep in the next morning. No, um, I think I think the fearlessness, you know, and I think that and Dale once told me the story. He he may, he may tell you again. Uh, some of these stories get retold and retold. But one time, he and Jerry Jones were going to go have a beer after Cowboys training camp. And Dale was out here in California. I believe it was here in California. He was going to do his stand-up out on the field. And, he, you know, he's going to do the sports. And Jerry was standing a few feet away just off camera. Well, Dale decides on that night, for whatever reason, to just light up Jerry Jones. Talk about how the Cowboys can't, you know, pick the right players. And Jerry is mismanaging the franchise and all this. Just delivers it straight into the camera with Jerry Jones sitting right there, just a couple feet away. And the lights go off. Dale signs off the sports cast and he looks at, at Jerry and Jerry goes, all right, you want to go get that beer now? <laughs> I mean, it was, you know, just, I mean, how many people would do that and how many people could do that in, you know, anywhere, not just in Dallas, DFW, but in, in nationally. And so I think with Dale, there's the spirit of, look, you have a responsibility to tell the truth and you have a responsibility to level with people, not just to be smooth guy on the news, not just to be beloved uh, local institution, but to actually, you know, be honest. And I think he did a great job of that. Well, I love all of these Dale stories and I'm sure there's uh, probably other uh, most shocking things that Dale Hansen has done or, <laughs> or, or head scratchers. I, we, we know we, we, we all know and love him, but uh, do you think there could be another uh, Dale Hansen or who do you think that might be here in the, in the Dallas area? Well, I think the biggest thing I would say this because people will say, you know, who's going to be the next Blackie Sherrod or Randy Galloway, uh, you know, at the Dallas morning news. And I always say, I don't think anybody's going to be that, not because they're not talented, because the job has changed. It's not the yeah. same job. You know, when Dale shoves off here in a couple of months, somebody is going to become the lead sports anchor at Channel 8, but they don't, they're not going to have the same job Dale did, right? The, the, the local news is not going to be as big. Television is just not as big a deal in our lives because we have Twitter and the internet and all these other things. So in a way, even if somebody were to somehow come along and could write as well as Dale, could mix it up as well as Dale, could be as funny as Dale, I just don't. I don't think there's an error because I don't think it's the media world has made that possible. Well, I think it's definitely gonna gonna be interesting, and I can't wait to hear what uh, Dale has to say later. But uh, we'd like to get your perspective on kind of the state of sports uh, today on TV. Do we think our fans are being well served? Obviously, a lot of thing things changed uh, during COVID, but uh, just get your perspective on that. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the networks did an amazing job. Uh, covering sports during COVID, given that the announcers were often not at the games at all. They weren't in the press box, but they were sitting in a remote studio calling them. Baseball, to me, on Fox has been amazing because for a lot of the pandemic, you had the lead play-by-play -play announcer, Joe Buck, in one studio, his color analyst, John Smaltz, across the country in a different studio, and neither of them at the ballpark. And yet, if you watch those games, they were really good. You know, they were different. The sound was a little weird. The fans kind of sounded, uh, you know, the fans were piped in, obviously, over the speakers and stuff. But I just thought it was really good. And I look at, you know, it's funny. People complain now because ESPN isn't like it was in the 90s. There, a, lot of, a lot of things have changed. We just have so many options as sports fans, both on television, online, sites like ours, podcasts. And I just think now is the best time to be a reader and, and watcher of sports that there's ever been. Brian, we've got a dispute going on here in Dallas-Fort Worth, you may be aware of, with Bally Sports being unavailable <laughs> to cord cutters, the, the old Fox Sports Southwest, which means when the Stars were playing, uh, you know, Mavericks, uh, Rangers, of course, unavailable to, to cord cutters. So have, have you followed this story? I mean, why do you think this, this ends? It's, it's a fascinating story, and it's one that's all bigger than Bally Sports. Remember when... Um, the uh, prince and princess were giving that interview the other day to Oprah. And that was such a big deal. I got on Twitter that night. And of course, my wife and I had watched that and been like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And all these people were complaining because they had cut the cord and they didn't get CBS anymore. And I said, wait a second, we've gotten to some part in history where you can be incredibly advanced technologically and you don't get CBS at your house. Right, right. <laughs> and I'm going, so there's two things here. One is the dispute is terrible because it's terrible for sports. It's terrible for the Mavericks. It's terrible for everything. The Dodgers had the same thing out here and people missed all of Vin Scully's last year's calling Dodger games, which is the dumbest thing you could imagine happening at the same time. Why we say this is like before in the before times before cord cutting even existed, you had to get cable to get certain things. We all just accepted that. 
And I think we've now gotten into this world where we're like, we just want to be able to get everything in any way that we possibly can get it. Now, I think they should solve the dispute. I think it should be available on over the top things. But I also think we are also all very sensitive now when we can't watch exactly what we want to watch when we want to watch it because we're spoiled. The media world, we can watch any movie we want. We can watch anything. So anyway, that's my take. You have a take on the this in, insane Mavericks Clippers series, you know, being <laughs> being out there with the road team. It's like an NHL Stanley Cup playoff series where the road team wins every game. What do you think is going to going to happen here? And and uh, uh, and you know, we have game uh, game six tonight as we as we as uh, as this will drop tonight. Uh, what do you think? It's um it's blown me away as a series. I, I, the weird, the, the fact that the road team has won every single game, the quality of play last night, you know, that I say, this is somebody who grew up in the nineties when I would go to reunion arena and ask the visiting players for autographs because I didn't want any of the Mavericks autographs, you know, it's too, it's too soon, Brian, it's too soon, <laughs> but I'm just, I am in awe of Luca and I just, I can't believe what he has done in these playoffs. Somebody said like his scoring average is second to Michael Jordan's in postseason history. And we're just, we're watching something unbelievable here. And Marcus, I, I mentioned in the open that, that he's nervous. Marcus is, you know, defend your case, Marcus, to Brian, that we're going to have a game seven. Yeah, no, like, like, I mean, like you said, Brian, Luke has been magical. It's Luca magic going on in Dallas right now. And, um, you know, being out at the Dallas scene yesterday, still Dallas fans are rallying behind him. Every bar is packed. Um, but I just feel like there's more to this story and what better way for Luca to win his first playoff series than go seven with this Clippers team. It feels like destiny. It really does. And um, you're right. I'm going to be incredibly nervous. Uh, I still get to be a Mavericks fan. I think even if I have to, you know, kind of take some neutrality and other issues now, but um, I'm going to be incredibly nervous that they come back here for game seven. I'll also probably be on uh, StubHub, see if I can afford an upper deck ticket uh, to game seven. Tell us something. We're, we're Bill Simmons fans and followers over here at the Mike Drop. Tell us something about Bill that people don't know. <laughs> I think the coolest thing about him, and I've said this a couple of times, but he wants you to be the best version of yourself, which is actually, it's that sounds simple, but it's actually kind of a unique thing in media. I think it's a kind of a unique thing anywhere in business. When somebody looks at you and says, I don't want you to come in and I'm going to retrain you and, and, and to be the, what I think you should be. I like you. I just want you to be the best version of yourself you can possibly be. And that's how he's always treated me. I've worked for him for a decade now, I think. And I, he's just, Bill is always, you know, Bill's never said like, you need to do X and Y because that's the way a sports writer should be or a writer should be. He's like, what do you want to do now? Let's make sure that you're doing a great job at it. And I've always appreciated, to me, that's the, that's the greatest gift I could possibly get from a boss in addition to the salary and the insurance and all that stuff. Yeah, he, he, has, he loves sports and that joy of, of whether it's talking about the Celtics and the Patriots and, and the Red Sox or, or anything, he just, he cares and he, and he, and he loves it. And, and I think you know, anyone who brings joy to their work is, is fun to listen to and follow. And, and that's one of the reasons that, I, that I've enjoyed uh, you know, listening to him th through the years. Uh, what about, let me ask you this. If, if, when you turn on a, a, a game, can you tell, aside from the obvious ways, if it's NBC, CBS, ESPN, or Fox, are there unique, distinctive approaches that each of the four different networks bring to sports cover live sports coverage? Yes, and it, it's subtle. I think if you put a, if you blacked out the, you know, giveaways of the score box and those things, I think I could tell in about two seconds. And it's little things. It's the way they use replays. It's the way they shoot the game. Um, you know, Fox has this funny thing. Whenever we watch a Cowboy game, and I still try to watch all uh, 16, now 17 a year, Fox does this funny thing. I Have you noticed that, like, say, Dak Prescott throws an interception, and they throw – they show three replays. Dak throwing the interception, the defender running down the field, and then the third one is this super slow-mo of Dak's face going – like yeah, Fox likes Fox <laughs> likes the close-ups you like and it's always in real slow-mo and it's always an anguished quarterback face but no other network does that that's purely a Fox thing and so it, it becomes these little things and it, to me it's almost hard to explain but it's just ingrained in our head oh that's a Fox game that's an NBC Sunday night football game it's very funny 
Yeah, when I worked at NBC Sports uh, for Dick Eversall, he used to tell the, the production team, nobody wants to see the people in the stands unless the weather is horrible. <laughs> because I think he felt that the people at home liked the fact that they were on the couch, you know, in, in, in comfort. And Fox also, I think, likes crowd shots more than maybe the other networks uh, do. Uh, and, and I'm biased because of my time at NBC, uh, uh, but uh, I still enjoy the work they do. You have a thought on the Olympics uh, coming up this year, more coverage than ever, Peacock playing a role. We've got lots of once in a generation, it seems athletes and stories they're gonna tell. Uh, the promotion has started on This Is Us and other primetime uh, <laughs> shows. What, uh, what are you looking for, for with Olympic coverage coming up here in just a matter of weeks in July? It's a really interesting and also COVID, right, hanging over the whole thing. You know, you have in Japan, a, I think a majority of people in a number of polls saying, actually, don't bring the Olympics here now because we're just in this state of fright. I mean, I think the Olympics is always about the social story in the country, right? It was about in when it was in Russia a couple of years ago, it was about Vladimir Putin to an extent. You know, we do that story and then we do the sports story. So I think there's a fascinating and somewhat grim story to tell here off the court and the track and everything else. And then the games will start. And I think all of us will plug in because there's a lot of complaining, as you know, Kevin, about the Olympics it costs too much, what it does to a, a metropolis when they bid for it. It's coming to LA here in a couple of years. But as soon as people actually lock in on gymnastics and track and basketball, we forget all that, I think, or at least I do. And you just get, I don't know if I get as psyched about anything as the Olympics, especially the Summer Olympics. And I just, it's one of those things where every night has a big highlight, right? Oh, it's swimming. I don't care about swimming in normal times, but I really care about swimming now. And my friends at NBC are gonna make sure that you care about Caleb Dressel, the tattooed drummer swimmer who's gonna go for a bunch of goals. Uh, go. So thank you. Thanks for joining uh, Monica and me here on the Mic Drop, Ryan. This has been really cool. Enjoyed your insights. And, um, and back with the great Dale Hansen in a moment. Over to Rachel with a word from one of our sponsors. Dallas is known for its big wins when it comes to sporting events. Whether it be Final Fours, Winter Classics, Pro Drafts, or even international soccer matches, Dallas sets the standard. And now it's time for our biggest win yet. We want the 2026 World Cup. The Dallas Sports Commission is working hard to bring the World Cup back to our great city, and we need your help. Head over to DallasWorldCup2026.com to sign the pledge to bring it back. Be sure to follow us on all social media at World Cup Dallas to stay up to date on all things 2026 World Cup. Thanks, Rachel. And now it is my honor to, to welcome to the mic drop my, my old pal, Dale Hansen. You know, when Dale came to, the, to Dallas in the early 80s, I was a youngster working in PR for the Mavericks. He first, of course, came to Channel 4. None of us knew what to make of him. He was this larger-than-life guy then. He seemed to have a past. Uh, we knew he was, he, he was coming to Dallas from Omaha, which seemed like a big leap to all those, uh, those of us that were so sophisticated and intellectual in Dallas. We knew he had been a radio disc jockey in Iowa, where he grew up. Uh, and then in 1983, somehow, despite not necessarily uh, dominating at Channel 4, he graduated to the mighty WFAA-TV Channel 8 and soon began uh, a long run of dominance there following in the footsteps of uh, the great Vern Lundquist. What a run. Of course, it included many years on the Cowboys radio team, more than 20 Emmys, way too many awards to, to list, enormous impact of the community. We could do the whole interview uh, on that. I still hear Dallas's, uh, Dale's voice on Dallas Can Academy radio spots in my head and TV spots. And of course, Dale came to national prominence in recent years for his unplugged commentaries. Courageously, I would say, supporting openly gay football player Michael Sam of Missouri at the time, speaking out in support of gun control and many other topics. Dale has announced he's going to hang it up in September and Dallas media will never be the same. Monica, please join me in welcoming Dale Hanson to the mic drop. Yeah, Sully, I can't believe we have uh, Dale on here. Dale, welcome. Well, thank you very much. My goodness, I, uh, I, I'm, I'm a little bit stunned. I thought maybe you had a different, uh, a different interview plan when you were introducing that guy. I appreciate that very much, Sully. That's, that's very nice of you, sir. Men, every word of it. <laughs> well, well, I appreciate it. You've been a good friend for a long time. So, Dale, my first question, it kind of hits home. It's uh, in regards to Michael Sam. He helps us on a 
internship basis uh, right now, wanting to really get into the sports world and event world. But I'm interested to know your, your commentary and support of Michael Sam in 2014 landed you on the on the Ellen show. Did you ever worry during that time that your progressive commentaries might uh, hurt ratings? No, I, I probably should have maybe in, in the minds of some people, but no, I, I never have thought that way. Um, um, it, it, I have always just believed that, and some people don't, uh, don't actually agree with me or believe this, I guess, at least, um, you know, from some of the emails I've received over the years, but at that time in particular, a lot of people wrote to me saying that, well, we know you don't believe that nonsense. Uh, we, we know that you're being told by your liberal managers to, to write that. Um, I I've never written anything that I don't believe, um, which might scare, which might scare a few people, I guess. But but I, I only write what I believe, and quite honestly, I've never really worried about what the impact of that will be, whether it's ratings, whether it's the approval of management, whether it's the approval of my friends or um, or, or viewers, whatever. Um, I, I just feel it's it's incredibly important that if I'm going to write a commentary, I have to write what I believe and. Um, uh, I did in that particular case, and I have in, in many other cases as well. And um, they're not always received the way I, you know, I wish they would um, uh, many times. But um, I, I think people make a mistake when they start trying to do things, as you mentioned, Monica, you know, for the benefit of ratings. If and when you start writing and saying and doing things that for, for that narrow benefit, uh, I think you lose all credibility with the audience. So, no, I, I, I don't care about that. Well, I can remember when uh, the announcement came out that uh, you were retiring where I where I was. I was actually on the phone with Betsy uh, preparing uh, from Tony Fay PR, preparing for some media interviews later in the day, and it came across, and uh, I think I, I was in shock, and I got very quiet. She goes, what's wrong? And I said, Dale Hansen is retiring. I said, this got to be a oh, joke. Oh, my gosh. Uh, <laughs> but interesting to, <laughs> to know or, or for our listeners, what will you miss the most or rather – uh, might be easier. What will you miss the least of uh, your day job? Well, it, it is easier, easier to tell you what I'll miss the least, and that is uh, shaving six days a week and driving up and down 35. Uh, apparently somebody blew up that highway. We're never going to bother to fix it again. <laughs> um, I, I, I'm incredibly frustrated with, you know, with shaving every day and driving back and forth. I'm probably one of the few people in America that almost enjoyed the stay-at-home orders during the pandemic. Um, I, I was doing the sportscast on my patio in my Tommy Bahama shirt, said, uh, you know, if I'd have kept doing that, I might have stayed until I was a hundred. I mean, it, it was it was actually kind of fun um, and, and certainly easy and convenient. But um, uh, so so that part of it, the, the grind of it, if you will, I won't miss. Well, I think what I'm going to miss the most, but I already miss it, and this is the reality of why I knew it was time to to retire. I've I've already lost the enthusiasm and the enjoyment I had for the games. You know when Sully was talking about when I first came to Dallas, I I used to go to the Mavericks games every night. I'd be sitting there in, in that little press row in the, at the end of the court and uh, you know, be having lunch in the, in the lunchroom and arguing sports and talking to the players. I'm going to the Rangers games. Uh, and, and that, that basically bores me right now. I mean, I'm sorry, but it does. I, uh, uh, Mark, Mark Cuban sent me a nice note the other day and, and said, well, now that you've retired, maybe you'll start coming to games again. Um, and I wrote him back, and I said, not at the prices you charge, I won't. Uh, <laughs> unless, of course, you'll still honor an old press pass, I might show up. But I, I've really lost my enthusiasm and my energy uh, for the games themselves. And uh, I don't think that's fair to, to Channel 8. I don't think that's fair to the viewers. And, and at the end of the day, I, I don't think it's fair to me. I mean, I'll miss the individual relationships that I've had in the past with, with individuals and players. The reality is I haven't had that for a long time. And that's probably my fault, but I, I haven't had that, that one-on-one -on -one relationship, you know, with, with Dak Prescott, like I did with, uh, uh, you know, with Troy Aikman, for example. Uh, I haven't had the same one-on-one -on -one relationship with a Luka Doncic uh, that I had with a Rolando Blackman and a Brad Davis. And, uh, those kind of relationships, and again, probably my fault as much as anything, but those special relationships I had, I, I'm, I'm going to miss those a great deal. 
So, Dale, uh, coming from uh, Iowa, I mean, we could see your passion uh, on screen, on the TV, every every day and in the weekends and, and your shows. Where did that stem from? Where did that passion uh, ignite from? Well, you know, I, I think as much as anything, and, um, I, you know, and I, and I hope people don't take this the wrong way. I guess it probably sounds arrogant uh, to some people, but... I really do think that passion comes from the fact that that, that I, I realize how lucky I am, and I've never lost that. Um, uh, you know, I, you know I, I don't like a lot of the things that surround my job. You know, the the preparation, if you will, the the looking up facts, the writing. But when I'm on the air, and I think that's still true to this very day, once that red light comes on, um, I, I enjoy it as much as as any point in my life, and. I, I think what really drives what, what I'm not even sure passion is exactly the right word, but I think what really drives what I do, my dad used to get up at four 30 every morning and drive a truck. And I really thought that was going to be my future. Um, uh, although I knew I couldn't do it. I, I, I knew I would probably do anything other than that because I knew how hard he worked and, and what his daily routine was like. Most of my friends, their families, they worked on the farm. Uh, and if you've ever done any kind of farm work, I mean, it's, it's brutal, um, uh, at least by my work standards. I mean, it's brutal what some of these people go through. I get paid to do what most people do in their free time if they can afford it and if they can have the access to actually get a ticket. Cowboys go to a Super Bowl game. I get paid to go. And then when I come back, I go on vacation. A Mavericks play in the NBA championship in Miami. I get paid to go, and then I go on vacation when I get back. That lifestyle that I've been fortunate enough to lead for the past, well, almost 50 years in one fashion or another, uh, that that lifestyle alone gives me the passion because I realize I really am. I'm one of the most incredibly lucky individuals that, that has ever walked the planet. I mean, I don't have an education. I never went to college. Um, I, I've been fired from so many jobs, um, and I think in part because w- what I perceive as passion is that I, I, I believe in so strongly in how the job should be done. Uh, my managers didn't always see it that way. <laughs> that, that's usually a tough fight to win, and I didn't win many of those fights. Um, and, and I do. I just, I, I just have always loved it. I, I, I say a thing in, in my so-called farewell speech, if you will. I, I've never had a job, it, it, and I, I know that's a trite thing that some other people say, but I, I've never felt in, in almost 50 years that I've ever had a job because the previous three and a half years prior to getting into that first radio disc jockey job, uh, I did have a job. I had to go to work eight to five. I was a bill collector. I was a food salesman. I was an employment agency counselor, and, and I, that was work. I've never gone to work since 1970. Uh, what is it? 72. Um, I've just, I've just never gone to work and uh, uh, I, I just love it every day. And then whether that's exactly passion or just an enjoyment of the lifestyle or whatever, um, I, I know it's been an incredible ride for me. What about Dale? What about your passion for the, the social commentaries? Where, where does that come from? Well, now that is that is where I think is a better description of, of of the term passion, and that that's part of what has kind of led to all of this. I I would rather, and I still would rather write a social commentary than I would to do a recap of even Game Five last night. As as great as as Game Five was with the the Clippers and the Mavericks, uh, uh, I would still rather come up with a, with a great commentary than I would that and. I, I just, you know, part of it, uh, Sully, seriously, uh, believe it or not, and again, this probably may not well be well received by everybody, but but part of the uh, of the enjoyment for me of writing those commentaries is I don't think it's courageous. I, I don't think it's remotely courageous, but I do love writing about gay rights uh, in Texas. I do love writing about gun control in Texas. <laughs> I do love writing about issues that I know probably buck the obvious trends of what uh, supposedly the majority of people in Texas would believe. Um, and I know that's also what brought the attraction to the commentary. So I, I, I've said many times, I, I think if I was 
38 years old, flat belly, full black head of hair, uh, writing in Los Angeles, San Francisco, you know, New York, Boston, whatever. I don't think the Michael Sand commentary would have gotten nearly the recognition that it did as compared to it being written by an old, fat, bald, white guy in Dallas, Texas. And I think that's true for a lot of the commentaries. I, I like what I write. I think they're well-written. I think they're well-delivered. But I think the fact that it's an old, fat, white, bald guy like me doing it um, ha- has somewhat intrigued much of America. Uh, and I'm incredibly flattered by that. But I, I just feel so strongly about those issues. I mean, you know, my granddaughter's black. I've seen the discrimination that she deals with on a regular basis. Uh, I, I'm an unapologetic liberal. Uh, I, I make no apologies, no excuses for that. Um, and I, I, I just I just feel that somebody needs to speak out about those issues. And, uh, and I've been fortunate enough to do that over the years. But... I'll tell you one quick story, if I may. And this is, if I had any doubts about, about writing social commentaries, and I, and I really never have, but if I had any doubts about it, this erased it. When I wrote the Michael Sam commentary, we're at a sales party for Channel 8. It was a kickoff to, the, to a season or a, a, some special event anyway. And there were all the clients and advertisers. And this young man came up to me, and he, he was like in his late 20s. And he said, Mr. Hanson, do you mind if I give you a hug? And I said, no, I don't know. He starts crying. And he then says to me, uh, my dad called me last night. And uh, I'm like, yeah, okay. I mean, I guess that's a big deal. And, and he looked at me and said, yeah, it's a very big deal. He said, I haven't talked to my dad since I was 18 years old. I told my dad when I was 18 that, I, that he came out to him as gay. And his dad threw him out of the house, and they hadn't talked in like 11 years. And this young man's dad called him and said, I still don't understand your life. I really don't. But if that old fat son of a bitch on Channel 8 says it's okay, you and I are going to figure it out. So why don't you come home and see me? And I I still get choked up just thinking about it. I wrote another piece about when I was sexually assaulted as a 10-year-old boy in, in Logan, Iowa. This, this teenager um, assaulted me at, at, the, at the ball field one day. So I wrote about my own sexual assault. And an 83-year-old man wrote me. And I could almost see the teardrops on the letter because he actually sent a letter, not an email, sent a letter. And I could almost see the teardrops. And this old man writes to me and says, I'm going to tell my wife and kids why I've been such a complete jerk and and so hard to live with all these years. Because I was raped when I was a boy, too. And if you somehow have figured out a way to get over that, I guess maybe it's time that I do, too. And I'm like, I I, I realize those are just, you know, two minor examples, if you will. but to think that maybe um, I helped change a young person's life or even changed an old person's life in any fashion because I share my own beliefs and my own look outlook on life, um, that means a great deal more to me, Sully, than any high school football, basketball game that I've ever covered in my life. And um, and, and that's that's what I still to this day enjoy the most. And quite honestly, I hope in some fashion that I'll be able to do going forward for uh, at least a couple of years anyway. I hope so. It's you know incredibly powerful. You know, Dale, a couple of years ago when, when Bob Ryan of the Boston Globe retired, he said, I'm glad that I'm leaving the business now as opposed to entering the business now, given how much the media, the business of media has changed. Local TV certainly has been has been hit hard. I imagine the staff at Channel 8 is a fraction of what it was when you got there in 1983 in terms of numbers. What is the future of, of local sports on, on TV, uh, especially, you know, here in Dallas-Fort Worth? Yeah, I, well, I think in, I think in Dallas-Fort Worth is probably on, on much more solid ground than, than in a lot of markets around the country. Um, you know, I, I think two things. I, I think one, a lot of generations say that. Um, uh, I mean, most of us, and I find myself getting caught in this trap. That by golly, it was so much better when I was younger. 
Um, and I do think it was quite honestly. I mean, I, I do. But but then again, I think almost everybody uh, feels that way about about their particular lives. I do think I rode I, I rode that wave. I think I, I I think I came at maybe the best time ever for local broadcasting and local sports. I don't know what the future is. Um, I, I basically understand and, and basically agree with what Bob Ryan is saying. I, I, I'm, I'm a great deal happier to be retiring now than, than I probably would be if I was entering the business today. Uh, but it'll evolve. It always has. I, I think it will. The local sports aspect of it to me has always been one of the most frustrating uh, things about it. There, there was an article written in some magazine years ago. Um, that, that my news director threw, put on my desk and, you know, tossed it at me. And, and, and the, the, the front page of the magazine, the headline was, is local, is local sports on TV dead? Uh, or is local sports, you know, uh, dead on, on, on TV? And it, in some markets, it is. I mean, years ago in Omaha, Nebraska, where I came from, uh, they stopped having a sportscaster. Uh, there's been a couple of markets around the country that that have uh, done that. I, you know, I, I don't understand the argument. I, you know, I've heard off and on over the years, and a lot of people say this, uh, some people who used to be in our building and, and outside the building. Well, we really don't need to do local sports because everything that you're going to talk about, we already know. I mean, the games are all on TV. Uh, we, we get all the information from the radio, television. Heck, we get most of the information from our from our watch or you know our phone if 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 we really want it. So there's really no reason for you to do sports. My argument has always been: then why do we do anything? Why do we do weather, for example? You know, we we devote a great deal of time to weather, but who doesn't know what the weather forecast is by ten fifteen at night if they really want to know? I mean, my wife, because we have, we have so many animals and horses, my wife checks the weather about 24-7. So she knows what the weather forecast is, and yet Channel 8, Channel 5, Channel 4, all, all the stations, they devote a great deal of time to the weather when, in fact, there's a weather channel. You can get weather updates on your phone. you know, And then they turn right around, and they've been doing this for about 15 years, they turn right around and say, well, Dale, uh, we don't really need to do as much in sports tonight because everybody knows that the Mavericks won or they, everybody knows that Dak Prescott signed his new deal or that, you know, Dirk Nowitzki's retiring or, you know, whatever the story is. And it makes no sense to me. If it's done well, if it's entertaining, if it's informative, uh, in my opinion, it's why, it's why I think I've worked a little bit better than some is that I do bring a twist to it. I, I do put, you know, my opinions on it sometimes, if you will, and I give you something to think about. But I, I don't know. It, it, it's it, it's a different business. There's no question. Um, uh, you know, the, the, the newsrooms, uh, the, the personnel, it is smaller now than it used to be. But that's also a problem in almost every industry in America. And I, I'm concerned a great deal, uh, not about, you know, what is Channel 8 going to do? What, what is, you know, local news going to do? I, I'm concerned a great deal about what is the American worker going to do? I mean, the, the, the jobs are just being taken away by, you know, by, by either moving the, the factories to a foreign country or automating the, the, the factories that we keep behind. I, I heard a funny joke, at least it's funny to me, probably offends some people, but I thought it was incredibly funny. Why is it whenever you call a company in America, they tell you to press one for English so that they can connect you to someone who doesn't speak English? And it never stops. I mean, everything we're doing, the American worker is being hurt. And I care a great deal more about how the American worker is being impacted than I am local news. But Bob Ryan is right. I, um, I think I entered the business at the perfect time. Uh, in the mid-70s. Uh, I think it was the glory days of local television news. Um, and I am concerned about, uh, about you know, how viable it's going to be going forward. But I do think they need to, to rethink it a little bit because I'm really frustrated. I mean, you might have been able to tell. I'm incredibly frustrated that local sportscasters are being told they serve no real purpose because the information is available from other sources. 
But then they do weather in particular, and news too for that matter, when that information is available from other sources as well. I, I, I just think it's, a, I think it's a hollow argument, and it, it never has made any sense to me. Hey, Dale, before we uh, let you go, because I'm pretty sure we could do this uh, for hours, but I have uh, one request based off of what you have, uh, what we've talked about today and uh, what you've done for the community uh, overall. We are in the midst of putting together a human rights plan for our World Cup 2026 bid, and I would be honored right, if right. you uh, would uh, be an ambassador or uh, um, maybe give some insight uh, offline uh, later on. Uh, we'll reach out to you, but uh, would really love uh, for you to be a part of our plan. Well, I'd, I'd love to be a part of it. And, uh, uh, you know, after September 2nd, I'm going to have a lot of free time. Okay. Well, <laughs> you know, perfect. So, uh, we're going to so, sign you up. <laughs> any, anything I can do, obviously. Uh, I, I, you know, as, as a friend of mine said, well, you're not going to just drop the mic and disappear. And uh, are you? And, and I'm like, do I look like someone who's going to drop the mic and disappear? Um, uh, no, I, I, you know, I, I decided, I don't know if you guys have ever heard this story, but I, I may have told Sully this at one time, but I, I came to Dallas in the summer of, of 1980. It was, it was in the middle of this incredible heat wave that we were going through. One of the, one of the worst heat summers uh, you know, on record. And I called my girlfriend, who's now been my wife for 39 years uh, next week, and I said, baby, would you like to move to Dallas? Because I'm going to die in Texas. And this was, this was the summer of 1980. And I was 32 years old. And she said, you've been there like a day and a half. And, and I said, yeah, but I'm going to die here. And I, I fell in love with North Texas. I mean, I think it's got its warts. I think it's got its issues. I think there are problems. There are things I'd like to change. But, but I, I love North Texas. And I love everything about it. And, and I'm, I fully expect and plan to, um, to hopefully be a part of that and, and help change some of the things I don't like, help spread the word about the things I do like, uh, and figure out a way to avoid driving on 35 as much as I possibly can. Uh, but but I, I, I love Texas, and I, I want to be a part of this community for as long as I'm able to, uh, uh, to breathe unassisted, if you will. Um, it, it's, it's just a... There's a lot that we do, and, and there's a lot of great things, and I think your commission that you talk about is one of them. And uh, I would be honored and flattered uh, to be a part of that. Well, thank you, Dale. I, I really appreciate that. Uh, we'll definitely have you back on the mic drop. I'll be reaching uh, uh, out to talk a little bit human rights separately. But uh, thank you again for joining us, and uh, we're going to shoot it over to Rachel. Looking to get out of the house in a safe way? Try having a relaxing weekend at the spa or a fun family staycation for spring break. The Omni Dallas Hotel is right in the heart of downtown, within walking distance to some of the area's best restaurants and unique shopping. The Uptown Terrace Infinity Pool is a family-friendly retreat during the day and a great place to watch a romantic sunset over the Dallas skyline at night. Go to omnihotels.com Dallas for the best offers and plan your post-quarantine staycation today. Because why? Big wins happen here. Thanks, Rachel, and thanks to Emily Jones-McCoy for joining us here on the Mic Drop. You know Emily from her work with what we now know as Bally Sports, especially on Rangers broadcast, but lots of other stuff too. Proud Texas Tech Red Raider, uh, a brother and sister of, uh, a sister, I guess, of me and Monica here in the vocal family with her excellent mom game podcast that she does with Julie Dobbs. Check that out, everybody. It's it's a fun listen. Uh, uh, Emily, thanks for joining us for our What Are You Downloading segment. But first, whether it's following you on Instagram or Twitter or watching you on Rangers broadcast, the thing I always notice is the joy that you bring to your work. You love what you do. You make it fun for the viewer. Where does that come from? Well, that's very nice of you to say, first of all. Um, it's I, I guess it's because I do. <laughs> um, you know, I, when I started in television 23 years ago, I never imagined that this would be kind of my cherry on top of the icing on top of the cake. But it, this, this Rangers gig is really um, everything I never knew I wanted when I started out in television. And so the, the fact that I get to, you know, go to a ballpark and, um, you know, develop relationships with uh, their players, their families, the staff, their families, the organization, um, and, and bring that 
aspect of our team to our viewers is, is something that, that brings me great joy and I love it. And, you know, it's like these TV gigs aren't easy to come by and I feel fortunate to have been doing this for as long as I have. And, you know, I'll, I'll do it until they kick me out the door, but I'm going to have a great time until that point. So Emily, with the Rangers, if I'm accurate, uh, I think the away games you've had to do uh, remotely uh, broadcast, and you just talked about the, well the travel and the passion and the excitement of engaging with players. How how has that changed? I guess of having to do uh, at least the away part uh, remotely, and probably during COVID as well. Yeah. So 2020 sucked. Um, it was not fun because you couldn't that. You know, I, I feel like there's, you know, different roles within different teams, organizations, franchises, whatever. But with the Rangers, I feel like the reason they hired me was because they wanted that emotional connection with our players and for me to pass that along to our fans. And so for me to not have that, um, that interaction was, was really, really hard. And so after the first homestand this season, I did get into tier two, which means I could actually be on the field for batting practice. I could actually... Uh, you know, talk to the guys, look them in the face, have a one-on-one -on -one conversation. So that's been really great. Um, there's still no travel. Um, so doing, you know, we, we were doing the road games from the ballpark. Now we're doing them from the Valley Sports Southwest Studios. And that's not ideal. I mean, that's not, it's not the same because I feel like some of the best interactions you have with our players and our staff do come on the road. They come on the team plane. Uh, they come in the hotel lobby. They come in the clubhouse before the game in the visitors uh, clubhouse. And so that's been a bit of an adjustment. So I'm looking forward to that point in time where I can get back on the road. Um, but just being able to be back around uh, the team at home has been a, a huge lift. All right, Emily. So this is the point in the, in the mic drop where we, we bring on a, a, a illuminary such as yourself to find out what you're streaming, what you're downloading these days. What uh, recommendation do you have for our listeners? Okay, so I just got into the uh, Drive to Survive, the F1 series. So I'm on season three of that, super uh, into it. I'm through two seasons, so I really, really do enjoy that. And I think I'm going to be like following F1 now, which I never have, never been into, you know, racing anything. But I think I will because, and I think they did a great job of providing those emotional connections to these drivers, these teams. And so they've sucked me in. And then I just downloaded, and this is from the Rangers broadcast last night. We were, I don't know, I made some joke about the Rangers are not playing very well right now. And maybe Chris Woodward should just take the team bowling or something like that. I'm like, didn't they do that in a movie? And so they started throwing out bowling movies. Well, I haven't seen The Big Lebowski. And so I just downloaded The Big Lebowski because Dave and CJ basically pressured me into it. So that's it for right now. I'm kind of boring. No, that's good. So I, I've heard about, about the F1 series, so I will check it out based on your recommendation. So even with no prior knowledge, they, they suck you in with the personal stories. Is yeah, that the deal? For sure. And I'm not into it either. Like I'm not a car racing girl. I've never got into NASCAR, um, it, but I'm totally, and now I want to go to Monte Carlo and go to that race and all that fun stuff. But yeah, it's a great series. All right, Monica, what, uh, what's your download this week? Well, you know, I'm a little bit always off kilter, but I'm going to comment on what Emily said on this drive to survive Formula One. I, I'm going to have to watch it because we may have a few things up our sleeve in the racing category for for future events. So I, I may learn uh, something and it may uh, help me on some bid stuff. So I do thank you for that suggestion. But uh, my download, definitely, you know, I'm usually always off sports topics. So uh, I did Netflix's uh, Behind Her Eyes. It's basically a cross of, if you've ever watched You on Netflix, uh, a cross between You and Basic Instinct. So it's a limited season, only six episodes at this point. So uh, I could uh, binge watch it when it was raining here over the, over the last weekend. Kind of a psychological thriller, uh, if you will. So that's my dad. Can I tell you guys so. a story about Basic Instinct? Oh, please do. Sure. So when I was in high school, my, I grew up, my dad and my, my sister and I grew up with my, this is a totally probably inappropriate story for me to tell, but that's kind of how I roll. <laughs> um, so my dad raised my sister and I, so um, anyway, you know, you'll kind of always like view the dad as like being a little laid back and cool or whatever. I think I was like a junior or a senior and we had, I had some friends over guys and girls 
and we were watching Basic Instinct. And my dad came in at the very moment where Sharon Stone spread her legs and showed the world what she had. And my dad lost his S in a way that I have never seen him lose it. So I will forever have that memory etched in my mind of basic instinct and how it got me in so much trouble. Well, so. Emily, you might check out uh, behind her eyes. Uh, hopefully your dad won't get, uh, <laughs> won't get upset with you this time. Well, Emily, speaking of getting in trouble, my download this week is Pony Excess in honor of Dale Hansen, the 2010 ESPN 30 for 30 on the SMU football scandal, narrated by Patrick, Dal Patrick Duffy of Dallas TV show fame. We've got a cavalcade of Dallas media stars from that era, Bayless, Hitzkiss, Richard Justice, Sham, the late, great David McNabb, which was sad, Chuck Cooperstein, Bill Dior, Randy Galloway, and of course, Dale Hansen, all weighing in on the SMU recruiting scandal from the early 80s. Uh, so what a show it's, it's been. On behalf of Monica Paul and the Dallas Sports Commission, thanks to Emily Jones-McCoy for joining us. Dale Hansen, how fun was that? Uh, Brian Curtis of The Ringer. Thanks to our wonderful Mic Drop production team, Chris Amelia, Marcus Carr, and our showrunner, Tony Fay. Until next time, thanks for listening, everybody. <laughs>